1: I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We start with stocks trying to push deeper into record territory as investors get set for the busiest week of this earnings season. Futures right now, they're looking for some direction. Also, we have some breaking news this morning. A Hong Kong court orders Chinese real estate giant Evergrande to liquidate its more than $300 billion in assets. Also, in the Middle East, regional risk continues to rise after an attack by Iranian-backed militants claims the lives of three U.S. service members. Plus, this morning, United Airlines reportedly looks to make good on its promise to look outside of Boeing for new jet orders, and then later in the show, ahead of Friday's jobs-reported look at what's already turning out to be a big month for layoffs for tech and beyond. It's Monday, January the 29th, 2024. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start your day. As always, we kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. Stock coming off a mixed session on Friday. So the Dow closed at yet another all-time record high. But take a look right now. Bit of a mixed picture. Looks like the Dow would open up about 70 points lower. The S&P fractionally lower than Nasdaq, fractionally higher. Investors are getting ready for what is the busiest week of the earnings season. Take a look. 19% of the S&P 500 reporting. That includes five megacaps. We're talking Microsoft, Apple, Meta, Amazon, and Alphabet. Overall, it will be 95 S&P companies and six Dow components. We're also checking the bond market this morning ahead of two other major events this week. Of course, the Federal Reserve monetary policy decision on Wednesday and the January jobs report on Friday. Take a look at yields right now. We're seeing the benchmark at 4.10, just about the same level we saw last week. Also looking at energy right now. Once again, closing in on 80 bucks a barrel. Take a look right now. We're seeing WTI at 77, basically 77.80 a barrel down fractionally, but it has risen from the levels we saw on Friday. This after the White House said Three U.S. service members, they were killed in a drone attack by Iranian-backed militants in Jordan over the weekend. That attack follows a first-of-its-kind Houthi rebel strike on an oil taker carrying Russian crude on Friday. We have RBC Capital Markets, Lima McCroft. She's here later in the hour to weigh in on the new risk premium for oil. OK, that's your morning money, money setup. up. Let's now see how Europe is shaping up as this trading day gets underway. Our Jamana Brisechi is live in our London newsroom with much more. Jamana, good morning.
2: Good morning, Frank. Uh, well, over here in Europe, we're also keeping a close eye on the geopolitical development, developments coming out of the Middle East. So uh, that Price of oil uh, actually having a knock-on effect on commodities names. A lot of those oil and gas companies are domiciled within the FTSE 100 and are outperforming this morning. That's the reason for the FTSE 100 having uh, the only bit of relative green on the stock 600 this morning. So it's up about a tenth of a percent. But for the most part, we are in risk-off territory. The peripheries, FTSE MIB in Italy, down eight-tenths of a percent. The Spanish index down half a percent. And then the DAX in Germany also down about six-tenths of a percent one name we're watching out for there is Bayer, the German chemicals company, coming under some selling pressure this, uh, this morning, down about almost uh, 5% today after further legal cases in its uh, Roundup weed killer drug. And then Kekarant also trading around the flat line and seeing some autos come off. In terms of sectors, this is where leadership is coming from. No surprise that we've got oil and gas right at the top, media also up four tenths of a percent, a bit of a bounce in healthcare too. On the flip side, Banks down six-tenths of a percent as we gear up into the earnings season. Some of the big names are going to be reporting in the next few days. And then altos down nine-tenths of a percent. And then finally, just to end it, wholesome is right at the top of the stock 600 this morning after announcing plans to spin off its North American business and list the unit in the U.S. with a valuation of around $30 billion, stock up 3% today. Frank.
1: All right. Jomana Brasetti, live in our London newsroom. Time now to get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Henao is here with those. Silvana, good morning.
3: Hey, Frank, good morning to you. Well, the White House is reportedly set to award billions of dollars in new subsidies in the coming weeks to top semiconductor companies, including Intel and Taiwan Semi. Now, according to The Wall Street Journal, the expected announcement is aimed at kickstarting U.S. manufacturing of advanced chips that power smartphones. AI and defense systems. Meanwhile, United Airlines is reportedly speaking with Airbus about buying more A321 Neo jets in an effort to fill a potential order void left by the delayed Boeing 737 MAX 10. Now, according to Reuters, no deal has been reached yet, but United CEO Scott Kirby did fly to France in recent days to speak with aerospace giant about a quid pro quo deal. And reports Will Scott Mobile is closing in on a $3 billion-plus deal to acquire McGrath Rencorp and a bet on the growing appetite for portable buildings and storage containers. According to the Wall Street Journal, the cash and stock deal is expected to become official as soon as today, Frank. All
1: right, Somana, thank you very much. Yes. Turn our attention now to China and developing story this morning as a Hong Kong court orders Chinese property giant Evergrande to liquidate its assets. It's a move that could send ripple effects across the country's crumbling financial markets and only worsen the existing real estate crisis. Our Eunice Yun joins us now from Beijing with much more on this story. Eunice, good morning.
4: Hey Frank, well the Hong Kong judge literally said that enough is enough. Uh, the judge agreed with the creditors that the struggling uh, property developer here in China has had enough chances to uh, come up with a debt restructuring plan. So she decided to put in the order To liquidate now the Hong Kong company or the the Evergrande rather I should say um, saw its shares halted today and even before that the shares actually had plunged and a lot of that was because of a report that the uh, company could not come up with an 11th hour agreement with foreign creditors to come up with a debt restructuring plan this is a saga that investors have been watching for quite some time Uh, a lot of people have been wondering about the fate of this company that has uh, 300 billion dollars in liabilities it's been watched for the past two-and-a-half years. Now, the company, of course, uh, still is uh, still unclear um, as to exactly what it plans to do next. In a statement, uh, Evergrand CEO had said that he was sorry about the winding-up order and that the company would ensure home deliveries and promote normal operations separately, uh, Frank. He also told a local paper that uh, this order only applies to the specific Hong Kong-listed company.
1: So Eunice, I have a question for you. Here in the U.S., creditors generally get paid before stockholders. Will it work similarly in this situation?
4: Well, um, unlike the U.S., um, these uh, courts are... Uh, very dependent on what happens in China. And so um, even though Hong Kong is uh, seen as governed differently from uh, the courts here in the mainland, everybody is watching act- actually what's going to happen um, with Beijing, and specifically uh, the Beijing-backed courts, uh, because um, what's, even though the, the liquidator is going to be decided in Hong Kong, but they really depend on the cooperation of the Chinese courts. The Chinese courts uh, will decide um, whether or not they even recognize these liquidators. And since Evergrande's assets are mostly here in China, uh, the liquidators might not even get access to a lot of the assets here. So people are still watching as to what's going to happen next in that case.
1: All right, a lot to unfold. We're looking at the chart while you're talking here, Eunice. Evergrande shares down more than 90% over the last year. We'll continue to watch this story. Our Eunice Yun live in Beijing. All right. A lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, earnings, the Fed and a jobs report. The main event, our next guest says, will have the most impact on the market's next move. Plus, ahead of that jobs report, January already shaping up to be a major month for layoffs in tech and beyond as companies look to do more with less. We have the chairman of Recruiter.com weighing in on the troubling trend. And then later in the show, coming up, A big week for Microsoft and a rough one for Tesla as the Magnificent Seven. Does it get cut down to six? The key themes impacting some of the biggest stocks in the market and what's coming up next. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. Taking a look at futures. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. You can see right here, the Dow looks like it would open up about 50 points lower, the S&P fractionally lower. It's the Nasdaq, though, that's in the green, moving higher right now. And taking a look at some of the winners in the Nasdaq, or excuse me, gainers in the Nasdaq 100 in the pre-market. AMD up over 1%, along with Tesla and NVIDIA. We'll be talking much more about the pre-market movers throughout the show. All right, turn our attention now back to the markets, gearing up for the busiest week of fourth quarter earnings season. Five of the magnificent seven set to deliver their reports starting tomorrow. Those results expected to be the top drivers of EPS growth for the S&P 500, according to FactSet. Investors also preparing for fresh reads on the economy and the future of interest rates with the new Fed decision on Wednesday and the monthly jobs report on Friday. Joining me now is Alan McKnight, chief investment officer of Regions Wealth Management. Alan, good morning. It's great to have you here.
5: Good morning, Frank. Thanks for having me on.
1: All right. So as we mentioned, busiest week of the entire earnings season coming up this week, a lot of big names reporting. Do you believe the earnings from the Magnificent Seven, will it justify the high valuations for those names and just the high valuation for the market overall?
5: We think they're going to print some really good numbers. And so we think that they're going to justify to some extent. But the reality is how will the market react to that? They've had such lofty valuations over the past year. And while Earnings continue to grow. Their balance sheets are strong. The opportunities are still there. It's really a matter of what the value is going to be placed on those those holdings. And with five of the seven, as you note, coming out this week, I think you put a little volatility to the markets.
1: All right. So you're looking for some volatility. Um, One thing that's really sustained the markets and pushed it higher is consumer spending. I know that's something that you're watching. So consumer confident estimates are for an increase for back-to-back months. But last month, In that report, they said these increases, they were mostly driven by households making over $125,000 a year. What is that bifurcation? What does that say to you?
5: Well, we think it's the best of times and the worst of times. So for the low-income consumer, things have been challenging. as inflation has continued to eat away at their spending power, while on the high end of the market, the luxury goods makers continue to print good numbers, and high-income consumers are still able to spend. So we really think there's been this bifurcation um, along the spending patterns. We do think that the reports of the U.S. consumer's demise have been greatly exaggerated. And we think that the U.S. consumer is still in a relatively good position. The challenge is just that on the lower end, inflation is really hit harder than on the higher end.
1: Do you agree with our, our Jim Cramer that to be in a Magnificent Seven, you have to be basically divorced from consumer spending and economic trends? And do you believe these names, these Magnificent Seven names reporting this week, do they fit that category?
5: I think they're still to some degree impacted by consumer spending, particularly when you look at names like Apple and you look at names like Amazon. And yes, they've transitioned a bit, but the reality is they're still going to be somewhat impacted by consumer spending. But what they do have going for them is their ability to continue to generate significant levels of free cash flow with strong balance sheets without the need to have to layer on more debt. And so to a certain extent, investors love the ability to continue to put money back to work into those names with the confidence level in those in that earnings power.
1: All right. One other area I know you and your investment committee have been recently talking about is China. It's pretty fitting today. We're looking at Evergrande shares under a lot of pressure, Uh, Hong Kong court ordering the company to be liquidated. Um, You're worried about China risk. What is the big risk to other areas of of the global economy, other markets in your mind when it comes to China?
5: We think the big challenge is that China impacts so many other parts of the economy. And so whether you're a multinational that is selling into China or you're a multinational that is utilizing China in terms of production and services, the reality is it's hard to get a hard feel for the numbers coming out of China and what the real state of the economy is. And so as we look across the landscape of companies on a global scale, it's just hard to know exactly how much impact will be there. What we do believe is that we're going to continue to see a slowdown in spending um, from China. And so that will put a bit of a detriment to a lot of the revenue growth that we may have seen for some multinationals who are looking to China as a key source of growth going forward. But more than okay. anything else for us, it's a hard to ascribe evaluation to as something where the underlying data is is hard to put your, your thumb on.
1: All right. Alan McKnight, thanks for being here. Have a great day. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, we turn attention to Latin America and Argentina's soaring stock market in the face of historic inflation, population unrest and sweeping economic reforms. But Is the investor enthusiasm, is it just too much too soon? We're going to try to answer coming up next on WEX. Stay with us.
6: Today I am here
5: to tell you that the Western world is in danger.
7: And it is endangered because those who are supposed to have to defend the values of the West
5: are co opted by a vision of the world that inexorably leads to socialism and thereby to poverty.
1: He was one of the stars of this year's World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. Now, Argentina's new president, Javier Malay, he's doubling down on what some describe as radical economic reforms. Speaking with The Wall Street Journal, promising a free market revolution in the face of 211-plus percent inflation, rising population unrest, an outstanding $41 billion IMF loan, and a stock market that's up more than 30 percent this month alone. But his mission to turn his country's economy around it's not without risk to investors, as well as those companies with a lot of exposure to Argentina. That includes American Express, Procter & Gamble, Sherwin Williams, and much more. All of them warning of material earnings impacts tied to Argentina's ongoing economic crisis. Joining me now is Malcolm Dorsen, Senior Portfolio Manager for Emerging Market Equities and Head of EM Strategy at Global X. Malcolm, good morning. Thank you for being here.
8: Good morning. Thanks so much for having me.
1: All right. So we just touched on the, you know, the big rise when it comes to Argentina and equities and Argentine equities, I should say. So we're seeing a lot of upside right here, but there certainly is risk. Uh, the new president, he's put some shock measures in place. We described some of them. He also said he's an capitalist. Uh, I believe that's a pretty, ter- that's a term that you don't hear very often from global leaders. Give us a sense when we look at the risk and the reward for investing in Argentina. How do you see both?
8: Sure. So basically, we're, we're seeing an opportunity for change in Argentina. I mean, after a very long time of pretty much irresponsible economic leadership under Peronism and Kirchnerism, we're seeing prospects for change. And that's what's attracting investors back into the market. I think we have to remember that, you know, he's only been in, in power since the end of the year. Um, but Argentina defaulted on its debt five times since 1950. And we ended 2023 with negative GDP growth, inflation at 130 percent and a fiscal deficit close to 5 percent. So the country was, was in desperate need for change. Uh, Malay came in with prospects and, and promises to deliver the exact opposite of what had been the, the key paramounts of leadership for, for decades and really trying to push a, a, a return to, to fiscal orthodoxy. And I think that's what gave him the victory by a 12 percent margin. And that's what's attracting investors back into the market.
1: All right. So as we mentioned, there's certainly a lot of risk to all this. So um, a number of U.S. companies, they've cited a negative impact due to the devaluation of the Argentine peso. The new president said he wants to make the dollar the official currency. He doesn't have the ability to do it right now, but that's what he wants to do. And he's also emphasized trade with China and the U.S. saying he would like a, quote, unquote, mature relationship for investors. What does this mean in the short term and the long term?
8: So I think, unfortunately, in the short term, um, his promises and the headlines can be tough, tough because when you, when you take the necessary medicine, um, things can deteriorate before they improve. That doesn't mean that happens from an equity perspective because I think investors are a little more long-term oriented. And though we might see some economic fundamentals deteriorate in the, in the near term, as we're seeing inflation spike to 200%, That's coming because you're seeing that we're taking the necessary medicine, such as devaluing the currency, returning to free market standards. And we're actually happy to see him rip off as many band-aids as possible early on because it gives him the opportunity to get things working again later on in his term, hopefully gain more power in the Senate and in Congress during midterm elections and lead towards um, a continued... uh, Continuation of these stronger economic policies for for future years.
1: Okay, what you're calling Inter- stronger. Yes. Sorry to interrupt you, Malcolm. What you're calling stronger economic policies, Malay says, will take about two years to take effect. During that time, are there certain areas of the Argentine economy or their stock market that are more attractive or less attractive while these plans unfold?
8: Overall, big picture, the whole market, if these plans unfold as they're supposed to, looks more and more attractive. State-owned enterprises have the prospects of being privatized. Um, banks and consumer companies will um, um, fundamentally might have some deterioration in terms of operational improvements, but from an equity perspective they could do better because you're going to see equity risk premiums come down. Um, So overall, um, he's in in a good position and in addition to that, over the next 12 months, I think that he's receiving a margin of safety because we're expecting a very strong agricultural season probably the, a record grain harvest in Argentina this year. So overall, he's getting a bit of luck as well.
1: His plans to dollarize Argentina, would that be good for the U.S. dollar and U.S. dollar investors?
8: His plans for the U.S. dollar, for dollarizing the economy, I don't see that as a near or medium term prospect. He doesn't have the power in Congress or the Senate to do so. And to be honest, I don't think that makes the most economic sense for the country, so we're relieved to see them at, that left out of his initial bills. Uh, overall, I think longer term, if it happened, Argentina would have to be in a much sounder economic position for him to have the power to do so, meaning he'd have to have a lot more U.S. dollar reserves within the country. So things have to get a lot better before that happens. And if that's the case, that'd be fantastic for U.S. dollar investors.
1: All right. A lot to look out for. Uh, Malcolm Dorsen, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Time now for a check on some of this morning's headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera in New York with the very latest. Francis, good morning.
9: Hi, Frank. Good morning. Let's begin with that major escalation in the Middle East. Three U.S. service members were killed in a drone strike on their base in northeast Jordan near the Syrian border. Two U.S. officials told NBC News that the drone packed with explosives made an impact near a shelter where the troops were sleeping, killing three soldiers and injuring at least 34. President Biden said the troops were killed by radical militants backed by Iran operating in Syria and Iraq, and that officials are still gathering facts. The president vowed that the U.S. will hold all those responsible to account. Meanwhile, House Republicans have revealed articles of impeachment against Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, accusing Mayorkas of failing to manage the situation at the southern border. The DHS is calling the charges baseless. The Homeland Security Committee could approve the articles as soon as tomorrow. And finally, Super Bowl 58 is set. The Ravens never recovered from a fumble by Zay Flowers. And a late interception by Lamar Jackson all but sealed the game for Kansas City. The defending champs advanced to their fourth Super Bowl appearance in five seasons. And the magical playoff run for the Lions has come to an end. An incredible catch by Brandon Ayo sparked a run of 24 unanswered points for San Fran. The Niners will travel to Vegas for their own chance at redemption. In a rematch of Super Bowl 54. And besides what's happening on the field, Frank, as you know, a whole lot to watch during that game, too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited for the Super Bowl. I don't know if you saw this. This is pretty fun. Uh, one airline, they started a flight from Kansas City to Las Vegas, and they made the flight number 1989 after our Taylor Swift song.
9: Well, I believe it. hey She's saying it's his 13th game that he has won since he's dated her, so... All the Swifties are all buzz about all the connections there.
1: We have a few on this show. It looks like you are one too. Francis Rivera, great to see you as always. Sure thing. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, Rivian brings some Apple magic to its executive ranks. We have the full story when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. It is just about 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and there's a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here's what's still on deck. It's a triple threat of major catalysts for the markets this week. We get a flurry of earnings and econ data, as well as the Fed's latest rate decision. Megacap tech earnings taking center stage in the earnings bonanza. This as the Magnificent Seven, they see major shifts within their AI-focused group of stocks. We're going to tee up what you need to watch. And oil prices on the move after U.S. troops are killed in the Middle East. The potential impact escalating tensions in that region it could have on crude in the near term. It is Monday, January the 29th, 2024. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start your day. As always, we pick up the half an hour with a check on U.S. futures with the Dow closing out last week, hitting another fresh all-time high. But take a look right now. You see the Dow. It's off of its lows of this morning, but looking like it would open about 33 points lower. The thing we're watching here, though, it's the Nasdaq right now moving higher in the pre-market. We'll continue to watch that. As you can see, the S&P fractionally lower. So investors, they're going to have a lot on their plate this week with geopolitics, the jobs report, the Fed and earnings. It's the busiest week of the earnings season. In fact, with about 20 percent of the Dow and the S&P reporting, that includes five mega cap tech names. We're talking Microsoft. Alphabet, Meta, Apple, and Amazon, it's been a banner start to the year for most of these companies that are also members of the Magnificent Seven. The outliers, there are two headline names, Apple, which is flat year-to-date, and Tesla, which is down more than 25 percent. Let's talk more about this week's big tech earnings with Angelo Zeno, senior equity analyst at CFRA. Angelo, good morning. Great to have you here.
0: morning. Thanks for having me, Frank.
1: All right, so Magnificent Seven uh, companies reporting this week. We're talking Microsoft, Amazon, Alphabet. Give us a sense. What are you expecting? And will this will this be the quarter that we start to see the impact of AI?
0: I mean, yeah, I, I, I think as far as this quarter is concerned, what we care most about first is on the demand side of things. You kind of need to make sure that we continue to see a stabilization on the cloud side of things, which we, we started seeing in the second half of this last year. Start bumping again some easier comps here into 2024. So that should help a, lo- a little bit. And then also, on the digital ad side of things, that's kind of the other kind of big trend on the on the uh, end demand side of things and that that area has really kind of been recovering through twenty twenty three again, the fourth quarter in terms of the q four numbers should kind of bump along some easier comps and as well as into the first half of this year. So we're pretty optimistic about both kind of some of the trends going on in the cloud and uh digital ad side of things, and of course, you know as far as gen AI is concerned. We do need to see kind of some incremental improvement for all these companies. Want to see some clarity in terms of whether or not they're starting to see some monetization. Microsoft will really be the key here because of kind of um, what they're seeing on the cloud side of things. They have seen you know uh, greater progress in terms of Gen. AI on the cloud, as well as kind of co-pilot ramping um, for 365 in November. We want to see what the momentum there is. So if they can kind of kick okay. off earnings season on a positive note, that'll be good for megatech. All right. So it sounds like when it comes to the AI story, it's still somewhat of a wait and
1: see. But you see, when it comes to AI specifically, Microsoft is a bellwether.
0: Yeah, I mean we do. And then if you kind of look at where the um, you know the improvement has been on the Gen AI side of things, they saw about three percentage points of in- incremental growth on the cloud from Gen AI in the September quarter. That's an improvement from the one percentage point in the June quarter. We're looking for at least four to five percentage points of incremental growth here from uh, Gen. AI. So it's going to be important on the cloud side of things to start, you know, continuing to see that progression um, from Gen. AI. All right.
1: You mentioned another part that's pretty critical for a lot of these players when it comes to ad spending. So a few months ago at the beginning of the Israel Hamas war, we heard that a lot of companies were feeling pressured when it came to ad spending. What's the environment right now?
0: I mean, we think overall, you know, the, the recovery has been pretty well. I mean, there hasn't really been much of an impact in the December quarter, we think, um, from some of the geopolitical pressures out there. Um, so in terms of a name like Meta, we continue to see north of 20 percent top line growth on on the ad side of things. When you look at uh, Alphabet search business, again, we're looking for double digit growth here year over year. Um, For the December quarter. So, um, you know, momentum still continues to be very favorable on the the, the ad side of things. And as you kind of go into 2024, of course, we've got an election in the second half of the year. Um, So, you know, all signs are, you know, pretty good trends going on there. All right. One big story when it
1: comes to these magnificent seven names, of course, is valuation. Do you expect this quarter to see earnings that justify these very lofty valuations?
0: yeah i mean i I think that's the biggest question out there. I mean we've definitely seen some massive kind of improvements from you know the the mag seven names here off the october lows i mean really driven by um Nvidia north up you know about fifty percent or so uh you know uh kind of look at um you know some of the, whether it be alphabet or um meta also doing you know very well off those october lows. I think that's where the valuation is most attractive right now, where you could potentially see greater upside than the other areas where, you know, you look at the Microsoft and Apple of the world, which look a little bit fuller in valuation. All right, Angelo
1: Zeno, great to have you here. Thank you very much. Great. Thanks, for me. All right. Sticking with tech, Microsoft, Alphabet and Amazon, they're leading the recent waves of, of layoffs in 2024. Since the start of the year, more than 24,000 jobs have been cut in tech and beyond, the most in any month since last March. And it's not just big tech names. A number of big names from banking to consumer are also reducing their headcount. That includes Levi, City, and Paramount. Joining me now to discuss what this means ahead of Jobs Friday is Evan Sohn, recruiter.com chairman. Evan, good morning. It is great to have you here. Uh, good morning. Thanks for having me here. All right. So, again, under, just under 25,000 jobs uh, already cut this year so far. Last year was supposed to be the year of efficiency. In your mind, what's going on this year?
7: Uh, there are a few things going on. It's, it's always been a very confusing job market, certainly recently. I think companies are still in the uh, in the cleanup from 23. There's still some failover or some fallover from that in terms of some additional layoffs. Uh, but there's also a changing of the skills that are necessary. You look at Salesforce.com, who had a very public, uh, uh, very public announcement of layoffs earlier in 23. They had an incredible second quarter earnings call. Uh, they were scaling up already in, in Q3. And now they announced again, we're going to do another, uh, I think, 700 layoffs. But at the same time, they're hiring 1,000 people. Uh, so there could be a, a skills a flipping of skills, different skills necessary uh, to really handle uh, the new world of 2024. Gen AI, uh, AI needs to be incorporated into various different areas uh, of companies, and you're going to see that sort of being a new trend. So we're okay. laying off people who are less necessary, if you will, or who are we overhired still earlier in the uh, earlier in the
1: cycle and now we're hiring specialized skills. So Evan, you're really hitting on something I think is the question for a lot of people. Um, you mentioned Salesforce as an example. They're laying off some people, but they're still looking for other employees uh, in their, to, to work in their AI-focused endeavors. So do you see that being a continued trend throughout this year where there's gonna be layoffs, but companies allocate that capital and maybe those jobs into other areas, more than likely AI-focused?
7: Yeah, I, I, absolutely. The other thing that we're seeing, Frank, is a return to work policy. So you're seeing in some instances these layoffs were people who just didn't want to go back to work. So if a company wants to go back to work, there's still some economic, there's clearly economic uncertainty. We're seeing recruiters getting hired, we're seeing salespeople getting hired. These are all indications that companies are going to be looking to do something, either growing their revenue base that lo- that they lost over in 23, or of of course looking to hire folks. We're also uh, think we're going to start seeing a shift to contract labor. You know, in terms of economic uncertainty. Um, and uh, specialized skills that are necessary and a return-to-work policy that's in effect, it might be easier to find temporary contract labor to fill those okay. specialized skills needs.
1: Other question for you. Should any of this be a surprise? In general, companies, they get rewarded when it comes to their stock price, when they lay employees off. Also, we've had stories here on CNBC, CNBC.com for months that says they have been saying that companies have been, been telling their managers, learn how to do more with less. So do you think you see this being a trend in tech and beyond just companies deciding that we're going to do more with less. We're going to ask more of the employees that we currently have.
7: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the, the Wall Street has completely rewarded companies when they lay people off. You announce a layoff and, and the market reacts positively. At the same time, you're seeing Gen AI and there's talk of Gen AI having this impa- impact of like 20 to 30 percent augmented benefit. And if that's true, then instead of hiring four people to do, one, uh, to do a specific tra- task, I could hire three people. So I could hire less people or do more with less. Exactly right.
1: All right, Evan Song, great to see you. Thank you for your time and for your insight. Thanks so right, much. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, RBC's Halima Croft. She's standing by on the fallout over U.S. service members being killed in the Middle East, while she calls this incident a critical inflection point for the tensions there. And we look into how this could all impact energy prices. We're back with much more Worldwide Exchange in just a moment. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet. We start with Citi upgrading its rating and price target on American airlines, moving it to buy and $20 per share. Citi saying Americans diversify revenue streams and solid demand for premium cabin offerings they appear to provide the airline with superior positioning. You can see shares are up almost one and a half percent. We have another upgrade, this time from Raymond James on Colgate Palmolive, moving its rating to an outperform. It says there's upside opportunity for the company following fourth quarter results and its outlook for the year ahead. You can see those shares up almost three quarters of one percent. Jeffrey's raising its price target on Meta ahead of what uh, that company's earnings later this week, moving it to 455 per share. Jeffrey says it expects strong Q4 results and Q1 guidance on increased user engagement and ad numbers. Shares of Meta right now up almost a half a percent. All right, time now for your global briefing. We start with a Hong Kong court ordering Chinese property giant Evergrande to liquidate its assets following months of failed attempts to restructure its debt. Evergrande had been given seven extensions to come up with a viable plan, but has hit multiple roadblocks in the last year. Ryanair cutting its profit forecast for the year. The airline has been forced to lower prices to fill seats since December. Ryanair also revealing. It has told Boeing that if any U.S. customers refuse to take delivery of 737 MAX 10 planes, it would buy them at, quote, the right price. And Toyota is halting global shipments of 10 of its vehicles. The automaker says a subsidiary found a series of irregularities during recent engine tests. This marks Toyota's second production issue in the last two months after it recalled one one million vehicles in the U.S. in December. All right. Sticking with global themes this morning, oil trading pretty close to flat after moving higher over the weekend, following a major escalation in tensions in the Middle East. President Biden says the U.S. quote shall respond after a drone strike yesterday by a group backed by Iran killed three American service members and injured dozens of others in northeastern Jordan, very close to the Syrian border. It's the first deadly strike against U.S. forces since the Israel-Hamas war began in October. Iran's foreign ministry saying today uh, claims that it was involved in the attack are, quote, baseless and resistant groups do not take orders from Tehran. This incident follows more attacks by Houthi militants against commercial ships in the Red Sea. On Friday, a tanker carrying Russian fuel products was hit by a missile causing a fire on board, but there were no casualties. Let's get more insight on this now with Halima Croft of RBC Capital Markets. She's a CNBC contributor. She's also at the Baker Hughes annual meeting in Florence, Italy. Halima, good morning. It's great to have you here.
10: Thank you for having me on, Frank.
1: All right, so Halima, you're out with a new note this morning. You're calling this this attack and the death of three U.S. service members, also more than 30 others seriously hurt. You're calling this a critical inflection point. What do you mean by that?
10: I mean, it's a critical inflection point for the Biden administration because we really have to see whether he will have a serious escalatory response to this attack. This is the first time since October 7th that we've seen a direct hit on U.S. servicemen that resulted in the deaths of U.S. personnel. For President Trump, that was his clear red line for serious kinetic action. Remember, in January of 2020, he authorized the killing of the head of the Quds Force, Qasem Soleimani. The question is, what will Biden do next? Does it potentially bring this war closer to Iran? The Iranians have denied that they played a role in yesterday's violence, but they clearly provide these groups with money, with weapons so the question is what does president biden do next
1: yeah i think a lot of people are looking at that um before this incident where again three u.s service members were killed you put the odds of escalation with with iran at 40 to 50 percent where do you stand now
10: i mean frank this is a major moment for the biden administration because again to date we have had no deaths of u.s personnel The question is, do we have more of the same targeted responses targeting militia outposts in Iraq, in Syria, or do they have to become more aggressive when it comes to the Iranians themselves? For instance, are we going to have to more aggressively enforce energy sanctions on Iran? We have seen already the Biden administration has been striking targets in Yemen, Houthi targets. That has not led to a de-escalation. You mentioned the tanker that was struck on Friday. These attacks on commercial shipping continue. So the question is, if Biden just adopts more of the same, is that going to lead to increasing attacks on US economic interests and personnel in the region?
1: All right, so right now we're looking at the oil market, Salima, Uh, moving slightly higher. They moved pretty dramatically over the weekend, moving about a buck a barrel um, after these attacks. What does this mean for the oil market? So far, we've seen a muted response to the Houthi attacks and some other incidents in the Red Sea.
10: Very much a muted response. I mean, I think this morning people are trying to weigh up the economic news out of China. What are the potential implications for demand? I also think there's a corner of this market that believes that this is not going to escalate to Iran. But again, we are getting closer and closer to a wider war. And I would just point out the fact that While you can divert ships away from the Red Sea, if this were to spread to the Straits of Hormuz, an all-important waterway, there is not an easy way to divert ships out of that important choke point. So again, we will be watching very closely to see if this involves Iran. And in 2019, in response to toughened U.S. sanctions, we did see the Iranians target ships in the Straits of Hormuz and a whole variety of critical energy infrastructure in the Gulf. So we will be closely watching to see, do we see any type of revival of the 2019 playbook?
1: All right. Halima Croft, Halima, always great to see you. Thank you for your time If for your insight. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, we have the one word that every investor needs to know today, plus a major test for the markets and its record run taking shape with tech earnings a key focus. The names outside of the Magnificent Seven, our next guest says, have, has a real chance to shine. We'll be right back with much more WEX after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It's time now for your WEX wrap-up. The Office of the Comptroller of Currency proposing new rules for M&A activities by banks, the push by the regulator aiming to increase transparency around the process while also making sure no deals get through automatically without proper scrutiny. WWE founder, Vince McMahon, resigning from the wrestling giant TKO Group over sexual assault and trafficking allegations. The lawsuit, which is filed by a former employee, seeks to avoid a non disclosure agreement made with McMahon in early 2022. Apple's VP of hardware engineering reportedly leaving the company to assume the role of senior VP of vehicle programs at Rivian. He has worked at Apple for nearly 25 years and played a key part in its home devices and car projects. The Wall Street Journal says the White House is expected to award billions of dollars in new subsidies to top semiconductor companies like Intel and Taiwan Semi in the coming weeks. Taking a look at those chip stocks, Taiwan Semi and Intel, both moving just about a percent higher. United Airlines reportedly in talks with Airbus to buy more A321neo jets in an effort to fill the potential order void left by delayed Boeing 737 MAX 10 jets, though no deal has been reached officially yet. And Bloomberg says Jeff Bezos' ex-wife, Mackenzie Scott, has sold over 65 million shares of Amazon. That's worth about $10 billion given Amazon's closing price on Friday and represents about 25 percent of her Amazon stake. And here's what to watch in the week ahead. It's the busiest week of the earnings season with 19 percent of the S&P 500 and 20 percent of the Dow reporting. That includes mega cap tech names like Microsoft, Apple, Meta, Amazon and Alphabet. Outside of earnings, we're also watching several key pieces of economic data, including the latest look at home prices and ADP employment figures ahead of Friday's big jobs report. And of course, speaking of big events, we get the Fed's latest policy decision on Wednesday with Chairman Jerome Powell speaking after that decision. All right. Plenty of fresh fuel for the markets this week. Let's see how the trading day is shaping up. Taking a look at futures right now. Um, All morning long, we've been talking about the Dow under pressure. It's off of those lows now, looking like it would open up just about 30 points lower. The S&P fractionally higher, as the Nasdaq moving higher throughout the morning. For much more, let's bring in Greg Branch, managing partner at Veritas Financial Group and a CNBC contributor. Greg, good morning. It is great to have you here. Morning. All right. So we just talked about some of the movement in the futures right now. I want to get a sense. How do you see today shaping up? What's your WEX word of the day?
11: So my sort Rex, of the day is reconciliations, Frank, and I think that Wednesday will start a process or, or a domino chain of reconciliations, if you will. I don't think we'll see a lot of movement. I don't think that there's anything, any ca- anything, any catalyst between now and then. I think this is what everyone's waiting for, and there are a number of things we have to reconcile. We have to reconcile in the face of what has to be viewed as disappointing earnings thus far, Frank, how we're going to continue to trade it 22 times. I don't see a negative 1%. That's what we have so far. And remember, that's below the dramatically reduced bar of 1.6% for the quarter, which is where consensus ended the quarter, having started at 8%. That, to me, is not fodder for a bull market. The Fed will have to reconcile. Is it going to be the six cuts next year or this year that the market is intimating, that the Fed Fund Futures is intimating, or is it going to be the two or three that they continually try and remind the market this way they're at.
1: Okay. Greg, I but want to jump in just for a second. I want to put out two sure. things for the audience. You are notoriously a bear. You, you switched a bit recently. You're notoriously a bear. And just a moment ago, we showed the audience the earnings number. What you're referring is to that negative one is the companies that have already reported. We use what's right. called the blended number. That includes actual reports and also estimates. You're focused on the actual, but... For the street, for the most part, the real number is the number you see on your screen right now with EPS 4% above expectations. I just want to jump in. So go back to your point.
11: Yeah, look, and I'll quote with that. The real number is what we've experienced so far. And so that that's all the reason why we—why I use reconciliation as word of the day, Frank. Okay. We have to reconcile what we're expecting versus what we've seen thus far. And granted, you know, the banks in that first week did a lot of heavy lifting on that negative number with some of the special charges. So I do expect the blended rate to be somewhat above this okay. um, as you're intimating. But, all right, so but in all fairness, uh, the real number one.
1: In all fairness, you, you have some concerns about valuation, like a lot of people do. Right now, the s and is trading at about 22 times the tech sector alone at about 26 times. Um, You also have some picks for us. So you're looking at what they're not picks necessarily. You're saying you would buy them, but you're considering them having more safety when it comes to earnings this season. One of them, one of your set of picks is in the cybersecurity area, uh, Palo Alto Networks, CrowdStrike, and Zscaler. Why do you think that they're quote unquote safer when it comes to earnings as opposed to other companies?
11: Right, and and much like I did last year, uh, Frank, although like you're right, notoriously bearish, um, I'm always looking for ways where we can hide. I'm always looking for ways for the areas where we can have some exposure. And when you looked at last year, the obvious uh, domineering behemoth companies in terms of the AI secular tailwinds, in terms of the cloud secular tailwinds, those companies were up 200, 300%. But there are companies that are just as important to those ecosystems that didn't have that type of performance, although they're starting to catch a tailwind now, and you mentioned the cybersecurity. They are just as essential to both of those ecosystems. They will put up relative earnings growth that will be vastly above the rest of the market for this year. And I think that as we start to reconcile some of those other things on a macro perspective, this is one of the areas that people are going to fly, uh, fly to safety. All
1: right, you also think there's safety in Microsoft, Google, and Amazon as well. The notoriously bearish Greg Branch, and you're going to be in here in about a week or so. I do a little wrestling with the bear when you're here live with us. Great to see you as always. Thank you very much. Quick look at futures, as we mentioned, a bit of a turnaround in the futures from earlier today. Uh, The Dow off of its lows of earlier, the Nasdaq moving higher. That's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is coming up next. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch
6: us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern